Bible reading for this message is taken from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. It'd be great if you could push pause on this video now, go and have a read through that passage of scripture, and then come back. So that's James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Uh, the Christian life is a wonderful journey of transformation. It's full of wonderful highs and often terrible lows. James tells us that the trials that we endure are there to um, purify and strengthen us in our faith, to bring us to completion. And that those trials we're to count as pure joy, that when we're faced with temptation, we're not to throw in the faith. He warns us against all kinds of double-mindedness and spiritual adultery. And when he gets to the end of his letter, we come to the end of our journey in the book of James, we discover that prayer is always the answer. Uh, that spiritual drifting is something that every one of us has a propensity for. And James is trying to call back the spiritual drifter into the family of God, into the church. And he's trying to equip the church to watch out for the spiritual drifter, that they might go out and rescue them. Every Christian can be a great and effective in their prayers. Uh, that's what James, the point that James brings us to at the end of his letter. He connects us to God by reminding us of our dependency upon him and the privilege that we have in prayer. Uh, he connects us with each other. He's spoken to us about the way that we use our words and as he reaches the climax of his letter, he really takes us to the highest and most vital form of our speech in the Christian community as he reminds us to pray, as he helps us to think about the way in which we pray. And he sets this teaching on prayer squarely in the middle of the community. If you look at verse 13, is anyone among you uh, verse 14, is anyone among you? Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. And he goes on and on. So it's very clear early on, as we begin to study this passage, that James is talking about prayer in the community of faith. Prayer in the midst of relationships in the church. And James wants us to understand that prayer is part of our work together as the Christian community that you cannot live a life of authentic faith apart from prayer. And we cannot do that apart from each other. Look at the way that James signs off the letter in verse 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, that whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is, brothers and sisters, if anyone among you. And so as he finishes, what James does is he gives over the spiritual well-being and the spiritual pastoral care for each other to one another in the congregation. I wonder if that's something that you think about of yourself when you consider your relationship with God and your relationship with the church, that you as a member of Southern Cross, are responsible for the spiritual well-being of those brothers and sisters within our community. Uh, this is a ministry that we so uh, desperately need because we all wander. 
We all have that ability to drift. It can creep up on us at any point in time in our life where we find ourselves drifting away. James wants us, he calls us to be actively involved in rescuing one another, in going out in that search and rescue party. The stakes couldn't be higher because it has to do with saving ourselves from death. It has to do with our eternity. It has to do with our sins being forgiven and covered over. And we cannot do that on our own. That's why we need one another, and it's why we need to pray. So here's this teaching on prayer, and what James teaches us is to pray. And I think that he does that uh, in uh, three uh, relatively simple ways. He talks about everyday prayers, he talks about extraordinary prayers, and then he talks about earnest prayers. But let's just keep in mind, he's ending off his letter with this summons, this call to action that we're all to participate in. First up, let's talk about everyday prayers. Verse 13, everyday prayers. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Pray and sing praise. Uh, both references to speaking to God, both at two extremes. Uh, this is what will happen in the midst of your daily circumstances. You will have trouble and hardship, and you will be happy. Uh, that pretty much sums up everyone's life who's listening to this. And so what does James say to do in the midst of troubles and in the midst of great joy? Well, he says, bring them to God, refer them to God, bring your life into the presence of God, come before the face of God, for there is no circumstance of your life where God is not involved, and nothing happens in your life that is not of interest to God. He is your heavenly Father. He knows what is happening before we do, and yet he still wants us to bring him everyday life. He wants us to tell him about what is going on in our life, whether it's good or bad. That's how he wants you to relate to him. As you're driving along, as you're thinking about work, as you're thinking about your company, as you're thinking about your family, as you're thinking about your goings-on, trouble or joy, good or bad, God wants you to talk to him about those things. And, and friends, that's just what prayer is. It's just talking to God. It's just telling him what's on your heart and what's on your mind, what you're struggling with and what you're rejoicing in. God invites us in prayer to live with him. And so we will never enjoy fellowship, this living with God, without constantly spending time in prayer with him. So what happens when we don't pray these little prayers, these quick little prayers, these small utterances to the Lord. Well, when we don't pray these everyday prayers, when prayer isn't um, a foundation in our life and our relationship with God, well, then when difficulty comes along, it becomes an occasion for self-pity or for self-assertion. I can do it on my own. When good times come, uh, they become opportunities to become uh, spiritual amnesia, have spiritual amnesiacs, to get spiritual amnesia, to become complacent. When we, um, and what we do with prayer is we, we make it far more complicated than what it is. It's just speaking to God. That's all it is. 
And it's just something that those of us who have put our trust in him, we just need to do it. It might be a little bit awkward at first, but that's okay. And James' teaching is, anyone among you, trouble, pray. Anyone among you, happy, sing songs of praise. Give God the thanks for what's going on in your life. You see, we hear from God in his word, and the Holy Spirit applies that to our conscience. And when we pray, we are speaking to God. There's nothing in all of our experience that doesn't concern him. There's no time that God does not invite us to draw near to him, and he promises to draw near to us. These small prayers that we pray all the time, all the day long, they are the antidote to our cynicism. You see, the real reason that we do not pray small prayers is because we doubt the active goodness of God. You know, we think that God only has time for us under level five, uh, that God isn't interested we're at, we're at level one or level zero. And so we toil away by ourselves and we increasingly have this sense of doubt, of struggle, of defeat, of weariness. Why? Because we stopped praying, because we've stopped speaking to God. And so it's actually easier to grow cynical about God than it is to pray to God. If we don't pray these small everyday prayers, then we gradually move from being engaged to being observers. We move from being those who encourage others to becoming commentators and even into being critics. What undercuts our cynicism is just a simple prayer of thanksgiving to God for all that he has done for us. What undercuts our cynicism is a simple sob offered up to God in faith because our life has become difficult and weary and toilsome, and he hears them both. So friends, if you're sad, then pray. If you're happy, then sing praises to God. That covers all of life. This teaching in James uh, isn't unique to him. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always, pray continually. Peter says in 1 Peter 5 verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And what's really interesting is that that verse comes just after the verse that James used about humbling yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up. It, 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 when we pray, we adopt the position of wonderful humility. Or Paul in Philippians again, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer, in every situation by prayer and petition, prayer and petition, similar things, talking to God with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if our lives are marked by unthankfulness and a lack of gratitude to God, God is nowhere on our radar and we have replaced him with something or someone else. So here is an invitation to small everyday prayers. God is not happy to just be a part of your life. He desires more of your life and he wishes us to give him more. If you're in difficulty, pray. Do it now, push pause on this video now and pray. Offer that prayer up to God. If you have things to give thanks for to God about right now, do that.
Maybe push pause and do that right now. Or at the end of this video, take some time and write out one, two, three, 20 things that you have to give thanks to God for and offer him up those everyday prayers. And don't just do it today. Do it tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and on and on into the rest of your life. So that's the first thing, everyday prayers. Second thing that James talks about is in verses 16 to 18, and it's extraordinary prayers. Now here, James, uh, who loves to illustrate all of his points, uh, takes an example from the Old Testament prophet Elijah. You can go read about him in 1 Kings. Um, this example comes especially in chapter 17 and 18 of 1 Kings. What we need to understand about extraordinary prayers is the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to make me happy and to get all the things that I want. The purpose of prayer is to advance and to be a part of the only cause worth giving our life to. And that cause is the honor of God's name, his will, and the extension of his kingdom. We actually devalue prayer if we make it only about the stuff and the things that I want. Prayer is about the everyday stuff, but it's also about the extraordinary stuff, and specifically the extraordinary things that God is doing in our world, in the past, in the present, and on into the future. So what kind of prayer is he talking about in verses 16 and 17 and 18 when he gives us this illustration of Elijah? Well, Elijah prayed for the weather. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, which is fascinating because he was almost superhuman. But actually, James says, no, he was just like you and me. And he prayed earnestly. And what did he pray? Well, he prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and they produced its, the earth produced its crops. Elijah prayed for the weather. But he didn't pray for the weather so that he could have a nice picnic. He prayed because it was a dark time in the nation of Israel. They, at that time, were guilty of double-mindedness, exactly what James has been talking about. They were committing spiritual adultery under the kingship of Ahab, of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. They were worshipping the Baals and the Ashtoreths. Uh, they were guilty of spiritual adultery, more, maybe more than any other generation in the history of the nation of Israel. And so, it's into that situation that Elijah prayed an extraordinary prayer. Now, Elijah had his own share of issues. I think that's why James can say he was a man just like we are, human just like we are. He actually prayed to die. Uh, he, at times, was full of self-pity. Uh, but God taught Elijah to pray. And it was through Elijah and his prayer that God did things of massive impact and power. Uh, God spoke to Elijah and told him to pray for drought for the nation in order that the nation might be brought to its knees so that it could come back to God. So what you need to understand is that in those days, if you prayed for no rain, what you were praying for was economic ruin. And that's what Elijah did, so that the people might turn back to God. How important is it that people turn back to God? Well, it's important enough uh, that a nation be brought to its knees economically. You see, our spiritual well-being, our, our souls, matter more than our physical bodies uh, in the ultimate reality that God is working in. 
It's really easy for us to forget that because we think that our physical selves are all that matters. That's what the world tells us all the time. But it's not. That's how important it is uh, from God's perspective and in the story of Elijah that people turn back to him. I mean, let me ask you, would you pray for economic ruin so that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ here in South Africa? Uh, what will it take uh, for people to be woken up uh, from their spiritual slumber to these realities? Now, I'm not saying that you should pray for economic ruin in South Africa, um, but what I am saying, what James is saying, is that we're not talking about trivial matters of prayer anymore. We're not in Kansas anymore. This is a big prayer, and it concerns the great purposes of God that he might bring the light of his knowledge into people's lives. There's nothing more important for us to pray than for the purposes of God to be accomplished. Uh, when Jesus' disciples said, Lord, Jesus, teach us how to pray, this is what he said. Pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He prayed for the praise and the honor of God's name. And then he prayed for God's purposes to be done here on earth, even as they are done in heaven. That is the great privilege of prayer, to be caught up, not just in talking to God about our everyday things, but to be caught up in the great things that have to do with God and his purposes in this world. It's through our prayers, and it's prayers that we pray now, even after we die. Uh, these uh, prayers uh, carry on into the future, and they continue to be answered long after we're dead and gone. When we pray them according to the purposes of God, according to what God is doing in our world and in history and in people's lives. There's nothing else that we can do in all of our lives. There's no other power in this whole world that can do that. I mean, just let that sink in for a second, that the prayers that you pray today uh, for the spiritual life and vitality and well-being of your friends, of your family, of your children, long after you are dead, those prayers still linger in this world and God still answers them. I wonder, friends, do you pray such prayers? How do we know if we have God's concern at the heart of our prayers? And I think that the test for that is, is the so that test. When we pray, we pray for such and such. And when we pray for such and such, do we pray for it so that the message of salvation through Jesus Christ might spread in the lives of the people of this world? So when you pray for things, is that what you're praying? So that God's name would be honored and that people would bow the knee to Jesus Christ, that they would repent and believe the gospel that you are believing in Jesus Christ right now. Do you pray extraordinary prayers for people and believe and trust that in the same way that God woke you from a spiritual slumber, from being spiritually dead and resurrected you to spiritual life, he can do that in the lives of the people uh, that you interact with on a daily basis in your life. And this remarkable privilege that we have of entering into the presence of God and laying before him uh, these concerns, as we do that, he 
changes our concerns so that they become his concerns and we become caught up in this purpose of spreading his glory. Elijah was a person just like you and me. We too can pray these extraordinary big prayers for God's purposes. It's not just reserved for the special forces of prayer, for the big names, for the people in the front. You and I, God invites you and me to pray big prayers, small prayers, but big prayers, and he will continue to answer them long after we have gone to be with him. The third thing that James talks about with regards to prayer are, <clears throat> I wanted to use an E here, but I kind of struggled, and even as I was preaching this, realized that the E that I wanted to use is used by Elijah in verse 17. So I wanted to say earnest prayers, uh, kind of like serious prayers. Maybe we can call them like middle-sized prayers. So we got small everyday prayers. We got big extraordinary prayers. And then we've kind of got these middle-sized prayers. They're earnest prayers. They're serious prayers. They still have to do with life and death. Uh, <clears throat> is anyone among you sick? Verse 14. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. God, our Heavenly Father, can, hears our earnest, serious prayer. So these are matters of life and death, aren't they? They're matters of physical life and death, but they're also matters of spiritual life and death. And James weaves the two together. God, our Heavenly Father, let me say this, He can answer our prayers for physical healing today. We also have to acknowledge that God does not always answer our prayers in the way that we might have prayed them or the way that we might have hoped. God holds in his hands both life and death. And we see that uh, as ultimate. We see life and death as ultimate. But what is more ultimate than life and death is actually the will and the purposes of God, part of those extraordinary prayers. And what God hold, holds out as ultimate is spiritual life and spiritual death because that is eternal. That is everlasting uh, that doesn't change beyond the grave. Where you land up after death is where you land up always and forever. And so James uh, puts and interweaves these two, and in the flow of this section, he keeps them connected. When he talks about being sick, the word sick can mean sick, physically sick, but also it's used widely in the New Testament to talk about many kinds of weaknesses. Weaknesses of faith, weaknesses, the weakness of the law, Jesus who became weak for us, God's power that's made perfect in our weakness, uh, that we're weak before God in our sin. Those are all different ways that that word weakness is used. So it's a broad word, and it's one, one of its meanings can mean sickness in the physical sense, but it can also mean weakness in the spiritual sense. And this prayer uh, that is offered in faith, that will make the sick person well. Uh, that will save them, and God will raise them up if they have sinned, and they will be forgiven. So you've got this whole thing working out, and we need to just step back a little bit to see what's going on here. The, 
James doesn't say to call the, the faith healer. He doesn't say to find the person in the church with the spiritual gift of healing and ask them to come and pray. He says, call the leaders of the church to your home for a time of private prayer. And they simply are to come over and pray over the person. They're to use some oil uh, to anoint this person simply as a sign that this person belongs to God. And then James says that the prayer of faith will save them. Uh, that word that James has used before always refers to salvation from eternal judgment through the forgiveness of sins. So there's nothing new here that James introduces at the end of his letter. It's not a magic formula to force God uh, to get the outcome that you want. He is teaching us to bring what is really important to us before God in prayer. So here in this person who is unwell, there is a recognition that they are sick and unwell and are perhaps facing their own death and their own mortality. This person believes that God could heal them if it's his will to do so, but it might also be God's will to take this person home. And so it's an opportunity in your sickness to reflect on your own relationship with God. That's why he says that if they've sinned and they pray this prayer of faith, it will make them well. It will either make them well physically or it will make them well spiritually. But either way, their relationship with God is restored and they are ready for whatever it is that his will is going to be. And so in our physical frailty, in our sickness, in our weakness, James wants to keep drawing us towards God's priorities. And he moves us from our home into uh, all of our ministry to each other. Therefore, we are to confess our sins to each other and we're to pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that what might be healed? So that our relationships within the community might be healed. We're to go to the person that we have sinned against in thought or word or deed or in what we have failed to do for them and we are to confess to them what we have done. We are to ask them to forgive us for what we have done and then we are to pray together. For it's only as we come into that presence of God that our brokenness can be healed. I wonder, have you ever done that? Do you need to do that today? Do you need to get a hold of somebody today to confess to them and ask them to forgive you? If somebody were to come to you and to confess, would you be ready for that? Would you have the humility to hear them and accept their forgiveness, accept their apology, and to forgive them even as God has forgiven you? Brothers and sisters, there is so much for us to think about and consider in our personal lives, in our family lives, in our church community lives, in the world, in our spiritual lives, from this passage in the end of the book of James. And I think that it's the whole weight of the whole letter uh, that comes to this point that helps us to think carefully about all these things. But let me just conclude by saying this. Uh, James is, James's desire is for a community uh, that comes together that, that hates sin because sin divides and splits and separates and it ultimately destroys. It causes people to wander from the truth. Uh, James's desire is for a community uh, that deeply cares for one another with a genuine care, so much so that they will uh, disregard <coughs> radical individualism that says, I can do whatever I want to do, and radical egalitarianism that says that you don't have the authority to tell me what to do and go out 
and bring someone back who has drifted or who has wandered from the path. And James desires a community that prays. A community that prays everyday prayers, a community that prays extraordinary prayers, and a community that prays earnest, earnestly and serious prayers. So can I encourage you, now that you know that prayer makes a difference, and that your prayers make a difference because of the ones to whom you pray, because of the ones to whom you are, have put your faith in and you are trusting in, that you will pray everyday, extraordinary, and earnest prayers, and that you will strive in your life for a prayer life uh, that is reminiscent of what James has to say. <clears throat> 